find ourselves a seat this morning. Again, I'm like, I'm like Clay. We just want to welcome you. If you're visiting for the first time, we want to welcome you to City of Hope Church. And, and we're so thankful that you've chosen to be here with us. And it's our desire to, to, to create an atmosphere that regardless of what place you are in life, what stage, what you're going through, what your background is, regardless of what you are even dealing with, but that, that you would experience a true, genuine encounter with God. You know, we don't want to be religious people. We don't want Sunday morning to be something that we just get in a routine and a ritual to uh, uh, just kind of go through the motions. But we truly believe that Jesus is alive. And we truly believe that anybody that encounters him will never, ever be the same again. Can I get a witness? Amen. And you know what? You're living proof. If you're here today, if you're saved, your life is the evidence. Your life is the, the proof that what we believe about Jesus and his resurrection is, is that he is still changing lives. Amen. So again, if you're here visiting with us, we, we're so thankful for you and, and we're grateful for you to be here. But if you'll turn into your Bibles in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, uh, we started a couple of weeks ago talking about daring faith. And, and this is a new sermon series. And last, uh, well, the first message that we talked about is that we talked about uh, what it means to look through eyes of fear and what it means to look through eyes of faith. And, and you know, the, what you view, your perspective, the, the, the way that you interpret what you see will determine the outcome of what you experience. And what I mean by that, if we look through eyes of fear, uh, oftentimes we'll be reluctant to step into that place God is calling us to go. But if we look through eyes of faith, we know that what we are able to do by the grace of God, we can, we can do. And then the last week we talked about uh, just basically an overview, how to prepare for a miracle. And we shared some things uh, about that, and we give you the story of the, the little boy who had the two fish and the five loaves, and, and how he transferred what he had to Jesus. And what you transfer to Jesus can be transformed by Jesus. And so uh, we, we're preparing for a miracle. But today is actually the launch. We shared with you some goals. And, and one of the goals that we talked about was that we want to see 300 people saved in the next three years. 100 people saved in the next 12 months. And today we're kicking that off. And, and we're believing God for people to be saved this morning. Amen. And that you would experience and truly experience, though, be empowered as believers to go out and testify and, and, and share your testimony and be a witness to the Lord. You know, another thing we talked about, one of, uh, some of our goals were, were to see all of our ministries fully staffed with volunteers. Now, that's a big deal for us. And another thing, we, we, we look for 75% of our members to be involved in a ministry. So we have some, we have some BHAGs. Do, do you know what a BHAG is? A BHAG is a big, hairy, audacious goal. Everybody say that. Say BHAG. Say this with me. Big, hairy, audacious goal. Listen, anybody can do their best, but with God you can do better. I paused for an amen. It just kind of went over your head right there. Anybody can do their best, but with God we can do better. Amen? I mean, we serve a God that, that never fails. We serve a God who is in charge and in control. So listen, I believe we need to have a little tenacity in us and go after the things that God has for us. Amen? Christianity is not a passive religion. It's not about just, you know, kind of going through the motions. Christianity is about, I'm echoing a little bit, 
We'll be able to get a hold of that, or I need to use this other microphone. Good? Okay. Anyways, that must be my cue to get back to the message. Anyways, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, we're going to talk about daring to believe. What does it mean to, to believe? Daring to believe. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse number 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel for which I preach to you, which you've also received, and which you also stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast to that word which I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. Verse 3. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I received from Christ, uh, received that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen, notice who he was seen by after the resurrection, by Cephas, then by the twelve, after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the great part remained to, to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all of the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. What we see here in this verse of Scripture is the gospel being presented... And the truth and, and, and validity that Jesus appeared to a multitude of people after that he was resurrected. You know, I had something that I wanted to, to share with you, something that I had planned. But yesterday during my, my, my study time, God switched and turned what I originally wanted to share with you into something, uh, something different. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is I want to talk about what it means to believe in the resurrection and what the resurrection demands to those that believe. See, a lot of people think that the resurrection is nothing but an event. It is an event, but it is more than an event because Jesus appeared to his disciples, and according to Scripture, to Cephas, to, to the twelve, to the five hundred, and James, and, and to uh, the apostle Paul. But Jesus made some significant statements after he was raised from the dead that we should pay attention to. You know, it's not enough just to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. We need to hear the words of Jesus and the things he said after he was raised from the dead. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time to be able to, to gather together, Lord, and, and hear from you. I pray that you would bless your word. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you reveal to us where we stand with you and that you would reveal the demand that the resurrection places on the life of a believer. We believe you, Lord. There's those here that, that don't know you. There may be some that don't believe in you. There may be others that have been hurt and disappointed by what they've experienced in life and, and they've given up hope. But God, I pray that, that they would dare to believe again. Lord, we believe that you're in control, that, Lord, you can use all circumstances, and, that God, you can speak to us right where we are. So that's what we ask you to do, Lord, and we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, every Easter, 2.3 billion people gather together around the world to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And everybody understands the resurrection in terms of it being an event. 
We know that the life and death of Jesus uh, transformed the way that we look at time. Our calendars are, are divided and, and, and divided up between before Christ and after his death. And, and so we know that this is an event. And a lot of people see the resurrection merely as an event. And, and many people understand that. But I'm finding out that the majority of the people do not understand why the resurrection is such a big deal. There's a lot of people that don't understand about the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead and they don't understand that the fact that he raised from the dead that is the most important truth in all of the world. The fact that Jesus raised was raised from the dead is the most important truth in the world. But it's much more than an event. You see, the resurrection of Jesus only makes sense when you first understand the gospel. So what is the gospel? You know, the gospel simply means good news. And the good news is that at some point in the world's history that God became a man. And as he became a man, that's called the incarnation, which means God taking on human flesh. And the good news is the fact that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, that he was raised from the dead. Now we have a person who has paid for our sins. We have now been given access to God. And through his life, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, we can now know, we can now love, and we can now serve this man that we call Jesus. Jesus is the good news. Now, the proclamation of the gospel involves the resurrection. Now, that, that's important for us to understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through, 3 through 5, Paul writes, For I deliver to you, first of all, which I have received, that Christ died, it says, for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. That is important for you to grasp, for you to even understand what the resurrection actually means. The resurrection will make no sense to you. It will not be any kind of significant impact in your life if you don't first understand what Jesus did. And the gospel is that Jesus lived, that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was raised from the dead according to the Scripture as well. But the Scripture makes perfectly clear that the death, burial, and resurrection is an historical fact. Now, you don't even have to use the Bible to discover the historical fact of Jesus being a man. It's no longer even a debate. You know, anybody with, with any kind of, 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 of education that can look and search and read credible sources, that they will agree that Jesus was a genuine person, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, and that Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. There's historical evidence. But listen, the historical fact will not have any effect on your life without personal faith. Let me say that again. The historical fact of what we know, the intellectual understanding, the knowledge we get simply by reading the Bible or reading other books has no effect in your life until it is birthed through personal faith. Historical fact doesn't save you. Personal faith is what saves you. And there's a big difference between the two. And Jesus alone is the only person who claimed that he would be raised from the dead. Now this is important. All over the world, people respect Jesus. Other world religions respect Jesus. They will acknowledge that he was a good man. 
They will acknowledge that he was a compassionate man. They'll acknowledge that he was a good teacher. Many of them will acknowledge that, that he was a genuine prophet from God. But nobody will acknowledge that Jesus wasn't just a good man. Jesus was the God man. There's a difference between being a good man and a God man. And listen, if you listen, if you've read any of the claims that Jesus made about himself, there's no way that you could describe him as being a good man. Jesus said that he was God. Jesus said, it's not working. Jesus said that he was God. Jesus said that he came down from heaven. Jesus said that the miracles that he does, he does because he is God in the flesh. Now, what would you think if I stood up here this morning and said, I am God in the flesh? Would you consider me a good man? Would you consider me somebody that you would want to listen to? What if I said, I came down from heaven? What if I made the claims that Jesus claimed? Would you say that Donald is a good man? No, you would say that he's crazy. You would say that he was a lunatic. Either Jesus is a liar, a lunatic, or he is the Lord. But a good man, you cannot call him. But Jesus is the God-man. And so it's important that we understand it's not a historical fact only, but it must be birthed through personal faith. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and which you were also saved. Glory to God. Lord, I cast out these speaker demons in the name of Jesus. But he says, by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word I preach to you, unless we've believed in vain. So, let me ask you a question. Does belief in the resurrection, is it required in order for somebody to be saved? The answer is absolutely yes. You know, we have to not just accept, we have to believe with our personal faith that that actually happened. Now, why is that important? Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the biggest question is, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? Now, before I answer that question, you know, as I was studying, there were things that I wanted to share with you. You know, I, I wanted to share with you the, the details uh, and the biblical evidence, the, the, the circumstantial evidence, the historical evidence of the resurrection. I wanted to show you how that you can find out with, with 100% assurance that the resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact that there's circumstance and biblical prophecy that has been fulfilled that proves that Jesus was raised from the dead. I, I thought I might tell you about the prophetic fulfillment. Jesus both prophesied where he would be born. Prophets prophesied how he would be crucified, how that he would die, how he would be raised from the dead. And all of that was fulfilled in the life of Jesus, I thought maybe I would share that with you, but the Lord had something else in mind. You know, I thought I could talk to you about the transformation and the martyrdom of the disciples as, as evidence that these men were willing to give their lives for this man that they saw as the Son of God. I thought I could tell you about the, the transformation of worship, the transformation of of the church, but God said not to share that with you. I thought maybe I could give you non-Christian 
historical facts written by people that were not believers, but they were Jewish historians that they would share that Jesus would live and die and be raised from the dead. But God said, I don't want you to to talk about that. But what I want to share with you this morning is simply this. What does it mean to have belief in the resurrection? And what does the belief, our belief in the resurrection, demand out of our lives? Now, believing is more than just mental acknowledgement. Believing is more than agreeing with a certain kind of doctrine. Believing is so much more than simply, you know, acknowledging and intellectually understanding what and who Jesus is and what the resurrection is all about. But, but what we see here in this verse of Scripture is that the gospel includes the resurrection. So I can't really share with you just the resurrection in itself. I need to share with you some of the things that, that Jesus did and what he went through before we can actually make sense of what the resurrection is. And so what I want to do is I want to look at another portion of Scripture. So if you'll turn over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. This is simply what we call the Great Commission. And the significance of these verses of Scripture is the fact that these words were spoken after Jesus was raised from the dead. So I want you to capture this. Listen, if you saw Jesus crucified before your very eyes, and you saw Him resurrected in a bodily form... And he spoke some things to you. Don't you think you would pay attention to what he said? Wouldn't you be a believer? Wouldn't you be eager to jump on board the Jesus train and say, Listen, Lord, if you can be raised from the dead, you are God. You can do anything. And I'm going to fall in line. I'm going to fall in suit. I'm going to follow you. Wouldn't you do that? I mean, that's what I would do. And so these words are spoken to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus says this. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. These were the last words Jesus spoke before he was ascended into heaven. So these are incredibly significant words. Last words are very Important, And so these are the last words Jesus spoke before he was ascended into heaven. And this is not just words he's spoken. This is a command that he's given. We typically call this the Great Commission. And the Great Commission teaches us three powerful truths about the resurrection. So, number one, the first thing the resurrection reveals to us is that it reveals Jesus as the ultimate authority. Immediately after he was raised from the dead, he says these words to his disciples, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. These are the first words that he's spoken. Now I want to say this, that the resurrection is the apex of the Christian faith. It is the ultimate authentication of Jesus' claims to be God in the flesh. The resurrection proves that Jesus 
is divine. The resurrection proves that Jesus was born of a virgin. The resurrection proves that Jesus was God in the flesh. The resurrection proves that he has power over death. The resurrection proves that he has power over sin. The resurrection proves that he has power over Satan. And the resurrection proves it validates every claim that Jesus made about himself. And so with that being understood, he stands before his disciples and he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Now, why is that important for us to understand? He wanted them to understand just who was talking to them. He wanted them to understand that he stands in a place of sovereign rule and reign over all of the world. He wanted them to understand that he was the one in control. He wanted them to understand that he was the one in charge. He wanted them to understand that he was God in the flesh. And I'm speaking to you and all power and authority is being given to me in heaven and in earth. So who was speaking to them? You know, Jesus said, and this is what was described of him, that he is the everlasting father. He said, I and the father, we are one. He wanted them to know that the Genesis 1 God was speaking to them. He wanted them to know that the creator of everything that we see was speaking to them. He wanted them to know that the ancient of days was speaking to him. He wanted them to know that the rock of ages was speaking to him. He wanted them to know that I am that I am is speaking to them. They wanted them to know that I am he that was and is and is to come. He wanted them to know that the alpha and Omega is speaking to them and he says this to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Now, why did he say that? I mean, why was that statement made? I believe that that statement was made because of the next statement that he's about to make. You know, this statement of all authority that's been given to me in heaven and earth, it's important for us to understand What comes next? What's the next verse say? The next verse says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is this. If I am in charge, if I am the Lord of your life, I've got a mission for you to follow. So this is the second thing that The resurrection teaches us. Number two, belief in the resurrection includes a call to the Great Commission. Again, he's he's speaking after he was resurrected. The second thing he says to them is to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen, belief in the resurrection includes a call to the Great Commission. If you believe in the resurrection, you are included to go fulfill Matthew 28, 20. He said, if you believe, this is what the resurrection demands of all of us. If you believe that the resurrection literally happened, you will prove your belief by going and making disciples. But listen, he was pumping them up. He was letting them know, look, when you go, I've got your back. You don't have to worry about what happens. 
Even if you find yourself in trouble. Even if you get discouraged. Even when you don't know what to do. Even if you're afraid. Just know something. Listen, I have all authority. I'm in control of this. Listen, I can open doors. I can close doors. I can make things happen, and I can allow things happen. He said, but I'm in control. Go make disciples. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that if you truly believe I'm raised from the dead, then you have a responsibility to go and tell the world about it. He says, you need to go and tell the world about it. And this is important here. Notice that this is not the great suggestion. This is not the great option. You know, th- this is not the, the, the great invitation. It is called the great commission. It is a command. It's not optional. You know, you, 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 there's no such thing as cafeteria Christianity. You don't get to pick and choose which parts you like and what parts you don't like. You know, listen, the gospel is good even if it makes us squirm, amen? Every word of it. So he's what he's saying. He said, listen, go make disciples. Now, in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, again, this is another conversation that Jesus had with his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Notice what it says here. Therefore, when they came together, they asked him, saying, Lord, when will you know, or what time will you restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, what this verse of scripture here, again, this is a conversation he's having with his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And what Jesus does here is that he adjusts their priorities. You know what they were interested in? They were interested in the restoration of the Israel kingdom here on earth. And now Jesus didn't say that that wouldn't happen. He just said that shouldn't be your greatest concern. He said your greatest concern should be being a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Listen, there's a lot of people that are here today, that your priorities are completely out of whack. Listen, you've got your priorities listed, and when Jesus spoke in these verses here, you have completely disregarded what he said. I believe God is wanting to adjust our priorities to get back to what he said originally, and that is to go make disciples. Now, what is our responsibility? Jesus says to his disciples, he said, listen, don't worry about when the the earthly kingdom of Israel will, will take place. He didn't say that wasn't important. He just said there are other things that are of greater importance. That's going to happen. But what you need to know is this. Your responsibility is this. He said, you need to go be a witness to me. You you need to go and be a witness. Well, well, what were they uh, witnessing to? What was their witness about? Their witness should have been about the resurrection of Jesus. And I'll show you something else here just in a moment. Listen, Christianity is not primarily a matter of doctrinal or intellectual knowledge. It's really a matter of how we live. And in the book of Acts, the first descriptions of Christianity is the way. People in the early church viewed Christians not as people who believed in some theory, but represented a way of life. 
You know, they saw the Christians and they saw the way they lived. And they, and they called these Christians the way. Now listen, I know that there's a lot of hypocrites in church. And a lot of people don't want to come to church because they are a bunch of hypocrites. But the truth is, we've got room for some more, so we'll invite them anyways. You know, there's hypocrites at McDonald's, but I'm going to swing by and get me a Big Mac. You know, it's been said, you know, don't ask what goes into a hot dog before you eat one. Because there's a lot of bad that goes into something that's really good. And the same is true about the church. You're not getting off the plant without getting wounded or, or, or devastated. And a lot of times that's what happens inside the church. And the reason that there's problems inside the church is because we're not making the Great Commission our top priority. If we're busy winning souls and making disciples, we don't have time to argue with one another. We don't have time to worry about what so-and-so said and what so-and-so said and what so-and-so said. We don't have time to, to nitpick and to fault find and do all those things. If we're busy winning souls and making disciples, then we won't have church problems. But Jesus said the problem is the harvest is plentiful and the laborers, they are few. Why is that true? Because we are not obeying what Jesus told us to do in the first place. Amen? So here's where we're at. We have a responsibility. Belief in the resurrection puts a demand on our life. If you believe, corresponding action will follow. Here's the statement. Hang on for this, all right? If what you believe doesn't change the way you live, you don't truly believe. Man, it's quiet in this Baptist church this morning. Is that on? Listen, if what you believe doesn't change the way you live, you don't really believe. Because God doesn't take the old you and mix it together with the new you and have fun. He said, all things, old things pass away, and behold, all things are new. You are a new creation. If you don't have, if there's not a new creation in your heart, then all you're doing is mentally acknowledging the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. He died. And, you, you know, he rose on the third day. You know what? The, the demons believe that. But demons can't be saved. And here's my point. This, this is what Christianity still is today. Christianity is a way of life that makes us a witness that Jesus is still alive and well today. If we're living the way Jesus wants us to live, your lifestyle will be a witness to those that are lost. So if people followed you throughout the week and saw the way you lived and the way you spoke and the way you treated others and the way you treated your family, I wonder if they would say, they remind me of Jesus. So Christianity is a, it's a way of life. Now, Acts chapter 4, verse 33 says this, And with great power the apostles gave witness, notice, witness. It doesn't say they preached. What does it say they did? They witnessed what they witnessed to. To be a witness means to live a life that can only be explained by the fact that Jesus is alive. Now, a lot of people think that it is the pastor or the preacher's duty to go out and witness. And I know that this says the apostles went out and they bore witness. Now, bearing witness simply means to give a testimony of what you have experienced on a personal level. Everybody that calls themselves a believer 
should have an experience in their life when their life was radically changed because they met Jesus. You cannot meet Jesus and not be completely radically changed. And the proof of a changed heart is a changed life. And when you change, you start loving the things that you hate and you start hating the things that you used to love. And when we are living a life that is a witness, people will say, there's something different about them. There's something different about them. But they gave, and great power was given to the apostles as they gave witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus is saying in verse 20, he's saying, listen, if I have ultimate authority over the world, and if I'm the Lord of your life, and if you believe in my death, burial, and resurrection, then you must go and be a witness to those that don't know me at the end, even to the ends of the earth. Now listen to this. The fact that Jesus said this places Every believer under a solemn command to tell this generation that Jesus is alive. If you call yourself a believer, you have been given a command. According to Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it's not an option. You can't play, let's make a deal. It doesn't happen on your terms. But he says, you know what? If you believe in the resurrection, then you must commit yourself to telling this generation that I'm alive and well today. Now let me ask you a question. Are you being a witness? Are you being a witness? Are you, are you giving a testimony? Now, here's the third thing, and I'm about to finish up. The resurrection gives us the assurance that Jesus is always with us. Now, notice what he says here. And lo, I am with you even to the ends of the age. This verse of Scripture doesn't say that Jesus is with us when we stay. It says that Jesus is with us when we That's why the most important thing that happens shouldn't happen in his church. It should happen out of the four walls of this church. Jesus is with us when we go. Well, where do we go? He said, listen, go to the highways and the byways. Compel them to come. He said, go to your neighbor. He said, go tell your family. He said, go tell those that from far distant lands. He said, go tell them. And a lot of people think because I get on a plane and fly halfway around the world and go to people that have never seen a white person before and tell them about Jesus, they think that I'm radical. I'm not radical. I am normal. Since when does obedience make you special? Obedience doesn't make you special. And the truth is the reason most of us do not see Jesus moving in our life in a powerful way is because we're not going, we're sitting. And the strength of this church is not determined by the seating capacity. It's determined by the sending capacity. And if you believe in the resurrection, you must go. If you're not going, stop saying you believe in the resurrection. You're no different than demons. Ooh, that's hard, ain't it? 
You know, it tastes like medicine to make you better. What I'm challenging you, I'm daring you to believe. And daring to believe means stepping out and obeying what Jesus said for us to do. And as you step out and obey what Jesus says for us to do, you know what? You will encounter him in ways that can only be explained by the fact that he's alive. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen people with their eyes open that were completely blind. I've seen people completely that was carried in the church stand up and run around the church because he healed. I'm a miracle within myself. I don't just preach that God's a God of miracles. I am a miracle of God. It's not hard to testify when you remember the condition your life was in when he saved you. The reason we don't testify is because we forgot where he brought us from and we become churchy. But he says, I will be with you. The main thing I want you to notice here is that who is giving this promise? Who is saying, lo, I am with you even to the ends of the earth? Who's saying that? Not Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. The man that they saw crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, and standing right in front of them said, I'm going to be with you even to the ends of the earth. The one who's the sovereign ruler, the one who was raised from the dead, the one who has all authority in heaven and earth says, I will be with you. I will be with you. Now, here's what I'm going to do as we close. Tim, I want you to come up here just a moment. You know, the greatest and most powerful persuasion that God is alive and well is a changed life. It's one thing for me to open up the Scriptures and say, this is what Jesus said, and this is what Jesus did, and and just, just kind of prepare to, with you and give to you the, the truths that are in the Bible. But it's another thing when you have seen God transform a person before your very eyes. And what I want you to listen to is just for a moment the power that Jesus has to change people's lives. Go ahead. Wow. Say, that, that's awesome. My name's Tim. Uh, I was an alcoholic, a drug addict, a, drill, a, a drug pusher for over 40 years. And uh, uh, it, this is really a long story, but I'm going to make it as short as I can. One evening, and I was very self-centered. Everything was about me, nobody else. I didn't like people. I was a bad man. Uh, <clears throat> one evening, the power went out at the high-rise and uh, where I live, in an apartment. And the manager come up and told uh, everybody that, you know, it'll be fixed in the morning. It'll be all right. Well, two hours later, they come up and said, well, you got to go. Well, I didn't want to go. I had a, a, a fifth of Jim Beam, a case of beer, carton of cigarettes, and my pills. Well, anyway, they said, you got to go. And I kind of got the hint because I was high. I was buzzed. And, uh, well, if you don't go, you're gonna, we're going to take you someplace. And I, you know, they're referring to jail. Well, anyway, I ended up over at the church over in the little strip mall by the bank. And, uh, 
anyway, uh, <clears throat> they uh, had to spend a night there. I was there two days. I got up in the morning, and uh, there was some woman, a good friend of mine now, and helped me so much. Started talking to me, and Donald started talking to me. And uh, anyway, I like, you know, I didn't pay much attention. Well, I was invited to church that Sunday. And I went to church that Sunday, and I got, I got saved. Jesus, you know, turned my life over to Jesus Christ. And, and uh, my life has changed uh, so much since then. I mean, there's been so many things that's happened to me. I, I mean, it, it would take a long time to, to uh, tell everybody this, but the church, I wouldn't have made this if it wasn't for this church, the congregation, all, all you people out here. And I mean, they were, they were loving, caring, and so supportive. And God has just done so much for me. I, I got sick here about a year ago, and... Uh, it was, they found, it, I had colitis. I was in the hospital, I don't know, maybe a total of five weeks. But anyway, there was a mass down here. That's all they said, it was a mass. Well, they couldn't figure out why it wasn't cancer. I got so mad, I go, you people act like you want it to be cancer. Because they couldn't figure it out. And in that meantime, they found a spot on my lung, and it was cancerous. And they, they took it out. But, and I laid on my back, I don't know, I guess a total of about five weeks. I lost 35 pounds. And uh, anyway, and they took the part out of the lung. And to make things short, I went back this past Thursday, and you have to go back every three months for the cancer, and uh, uh, everything was good. I'm cancer-free. And, and, uh, and uh, it's, it's just the Lord. It's just it's so amazing, miraculous, the things that he's done for me, and he can do them for you. I mean, it's, there's nothing that he can't do. And, oh, one more thing. This is important. I had a, with this colitis, they put a stint in there, and I had to go back. They were supposed to take it out. Well, there was complications, and, uh, which, uh, well, we'll get it reversed, and, you know, or no, they said that uh, <clears throat> they couldn't take it out in the three months, so I wake up from surgery, and uh, I had a bag on my side. It wasn't a colostomy bag. I call it an illinostomy bag because it was a small intestine. And, uh, I, you know, I got real impatient. Bob Gray has been with me through all this. Wake up, Bob. <laughs> and uh, you get in trouble running around with Bob. He, he said, don't pay no attention to Donald. Just tell it like it is. Don't be on no timetable. Uh, anyway, thank you, Bob. You've been there. You know, he's been there with me all the time. Well, anyway, I go, I'm going to have to live with this the rest of my life. It was a nightmare. I mean, and when I woke up, I felt that I was in shock for two days having to wear this bag. But the good Lord, it took five months, 
but the bag is off and everything's cancer free and everything is normal. And thank you. Hang on just one second. I want to say this. Here's what I want you to know. Pim came to the church, 40, 40 year drug addict, 40 year alcoholic. He, he told me yesterday, he said, the week before the power outage, I told the Lord to take my life. He said, I don't want to live anymore. But God had a plan. Amen. It came a big snow, the power went out. He came over to the church. We opened the church for uh, just a shelter. And we just tried to love on Tim. I remember, listen, you could smell his breath and know that there was alcohol that was there. But a week later, he comes to church. He gives his life to Jesus. Yeah. And how long has it been since you've drunk anything or done anything? Three years, three months, and four days. Woo! Three years, four months, and three months, and four days. And four days. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Only Jesus can do stuff like that. Only Jesus. You know, I, I, I gave him a one-year Bible reading plan. And how far ahead are you, are you now? I don't know. Three or four days. He said, how far did this reading plan go? I said, it goes for a year. <laughs> and and now, now he's reading the Bible. He's becoming a disciple. And, and, you know, giving your life to Jesus doesn't mean you're going to not go through difficult times. Right. You know, months after this happened, he got really sick. He told you about it. He got, uh, had colitis. But, you know, having colitis was a miracle within itself. If he had not had the colitis, they would have never found the cancer. And so not only did he get healed through medicine, through prayer, from the colitis, and you heard the story about the, the, the colostomy bag, He's cancer-free, and the Lord has been with him the whole time. Amen. Hey, let's give the Lord and Tim one big hand. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's probably the greatest evidence that I could give with you or give to you that Jesus is alive and well today. But as I close... I'm going to challenge you with this question. I'm going to ask nobody to get up and walk out the door because, listen, there's people here that need to make the decision to surrender their life to God. And we don't want to have any distractions. We'll be done here just in a moment, but let's just stay focused on this time because, listen, God is, is moving. I can sense His presence. That testimony, I know, has touched some of your hearts. And what God has done for Tim, God will do for you in this, in this building today. But what does it mean to believe? You know, the word believe means more than mental acknowledgement of something. The word believe means more than theological understanding of something. The word believe means more than having prophetic insight of something. It's more than hoping and wishing and desiring. Anytime that you see the word believe in Scripture, there's always corresponding action that changes the life of the person who believes. In other words, true believing always is backed up by changed life. And I want to show you something. 
Put that next slide up there for me if you don't mind. Now, I want you to understand this. According to the Scripture, Jesus showed himself with many infallible proofs for 40 days. And the Scripture says here, 1 Corinthians 15, 5-8, that he was seen by Cephas. That's one person. He was seen by the 12. That's 13. He was seen by over 500 brethren. That's a lot. Then he was seen by James, and then he was seen by the Apostle Paul. Now go to the next slide. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Again, Jesus is appearing to his disciples after the resurrection, and he gives them this command. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said that you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, go to the last slide. This is mind-boggling to me, but I see it every day. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, and altogether the number of the names were about how many? Now, here's what I'm saying. Don't you think that if you saw the resurrected Jesus after you had seen him crucified, don't you think if you saw him in his resurrected body raised from the dead and then he gives you the command to wait here for the promise, don't you think that you would be obedient to what he said? Do you think that I could talk you out of it? I mean, if Jesus... He revealed himself, showed himself to you and resurrected for me. He said, look, I want you to wait here for the promise. I've got something for you. Now, we know from the other scripture that he appeared to at least 500 people at one time, right? But when he gave the command to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, how many listened to what he had to say? So basically, 380 people completely disregarded what the resurrected Jesus said for them to do. They blew it off like it's nothing. He tells them, tarry in the city. He says, wait for the promise. And they go, no big deal. But they don't even show up. He appears to 500 brethren and only 120 show up, 380 totally disregard what Jesus commanded. And I submit to you that there's people in this church and people in churches all across America that totally disregard what the resurrected Jesus said for them to do. And the truth is, they're no different than the 380 that threw what Jesus said away. Now, what about you? Are you part of the 120 or are you part of the 380? Are you a part of those that are obedient to the command of Jesus? Or are you part of the 380 that simply disregards what he says to do? What did he say after the resurrection in Matthew 28, 19 and 20? 
Go make disciples. Let me ask you a question. Who are you discipling? What did he say in Acts 1.8? Go be witnesses. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And you shall be what? When's the last time you gave your testimony about what Jesus has done for you? When's the last time you witnessed? When's the last time you testified? Who are you discipling? Now listen, don't tell me you believe in the resurrection if you totally disregard what Jesus said after he was resurrected. Now I know this is hard, but this is the weakest place in the American church. The reason the American church is weak is because we do not make disciples. And now it is time, God is calling us. I'm daring you to believe that God can use you. I'm daring you to believe that God can make you a powerful witness. I'm daring you to believe that God will use your testimony like God is using Tim's testimony and it will touch people's hearts. I'm daring you to believe and if you respond, we'll turn this place upside down. I said, we'll turn this place upside down. Stand with me. With your head bowed and your eyes closed. Again, nobody get up and move, move away. We, we, we want to reverence this time. We're getting ready to dismiss you. But this is the time to respond. Now, there's some of you that are here today that you have experienced disappointment and heartbreak. You've been disappointed by God. You feel like God has let you down. You prayed that something wouldn't happen and that God would intervene and things didn't turn out the way that you hoped that they would. Some of you, 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 you asked God to answer a prayer and God didn't answer the prayer. And you know what? You, you, you've given up on your faith. Some of you have seen the hypocrisy in the church. You've been hurt by people. You've been disappointed by people that call themselves a Christian. And you don't want any part to do with the church or, or anything to do with it. But you're just here to please somebody because they invited you. And some of you, you know what? You've experienced devastating loss. Maybe you've lost a child. You've lost a mom or a dad, a brother, or a sister. You've lost someone that, that you, you it's called, and it's caused you to think if God was a good God he would have never let that happen and what I say to you is I dare you to believe again I dare you to believe again because Jesus had two commands that everybody in this room can respond to to the lost he says come to the hurting he says come to the broken he says come to the disappointed he says come to the devastated he says come to those that are church hurt he says come to those of you that are given up on God he says come and to those of you that are saved and say that you believe in the resurrection he says to you go go make disciples go to the highways and byways go be a witness come and go now all those of you that are here I'm going to ask you this question. If you're here 
and you're lost and Jesus is saying come if you're here and you don't have a hundred percent assurance that things are right between you and God he says to you come if you're disappointed and you've been hurt you've been wounded and and, and you're confused or, or, or you've given up he's saying to you come and I want to count to three and when I get to three if, if you are not saved and God is dealing with you and you want to give your life to Jesus, I'm not going to ask you to give your heart to Jesus. I'm not asking you just to respond to an invitation. But if you want to believe that Jesus lived, died for your sins and raised from the dead, and you want to be saved on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to shoot your hand straight up and straight back down. I'm not coming out there after you. I just want to know that you're here. Are you ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. Shoot your hand up. Say, that's me. Amen. Amen. Somebody else. Somebody else. Amen. Listen, don't quench the Holy Spirit. If he's dealing with you, the Bible says that tomorrow is promised to no man. He says, today is the day of salvation. He says, do not harden your heart. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So those of you that are lost, I'm going to ask you to come. Now, those of you that are saved... I'm going to challenge you to go. If you are part of the 380 and not part of the 120, it's time that you step up and do what God's called you to do.